Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Pawatic. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast powered by First National. My name is Aaron Cameron, of course, with me as always, Adam Pawatic, recording today live at the Southwestern Ontario Real Estate Forum. Our guest today is a gentleman by the name of Tim Kennedy, who is the principal of Lowland Properties. Tim, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me, guys. So, got to do it. I've known Tim as long as I've been working in the industry, basically. I was just saying before, off air, before we got it, I spent more time planning this podcast than I've planned any other podcast, simply because usually I don't do any planning, which is part of the fun for the, the regular listeners. You know, we hope. We, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I get to pretend because it's easier if I don't do any planning. There's no contrived interviews, right? We really literally sit down and start asking questions because we think that's what's, the, you know, that gets the best product out to our listeners. When you know somebody's background as intimately as I do, it's really hard for me to go, so tell me about the time that you did this and I know all the stories. So I'm going to try really hard to just not lead Tim into too many of those stories and take him in the direction maybe he doesn't want me to go because I know you, skeletons and all you, that. You so. can go anywhere. Okay. I've, I've got nothing to hide. Your, your first leading question would be, what's your best employer? Because of course, we all three of us worked at First National for a number of years. We'll save it for Tim's story, but there's a lot of leading questions you could yeah, throw Yeah, well, that's, that's, yeah. The, that's the idea, right? So can't be contrived. So Tim, you have listened, I know, or at least you told us that you have, whether you actually have or not. But tell us about yourself. How'd you get into real estate in the beginning? I was one of these people who had a parent in real estate. My father was in commercial real estate for quite some time. And you know, you hear these stories all the time. We'd be going on family road trips and, you know, let's say we're going to, you know, Montreal or, or Vermont. We went to Vermont a few times in my childhood. On the way, you'd stop at, you know, four or five shopping centers and do site visits. And so it just sort of became sort of ingrained in who I was without me even knowing it. And through university, I did a number of summer jobs at real estate companies mainly property management. And then the last summer, I went to Ashwar Urban Realty, which is a brokerage which does not exist anymore. It was bought by Cushman and Wakefield a number of years ago. My last summer job was at Ashwar Urban Realty. And I did not want to be a broker in my own mind in my final year of university. However, I thoroughly enjoyed my time at Ashwar. The people were, were fantastic. A group that just really wanted to see everyone succeed as, as human beings and employees and sort of put their employees. How did you find Ashley? Because I mean, I mean, again, trying not to lead you, but knowing you, it was a great fit, right? Because it really was this sort of small shop, we can do anything type of environment. And sure. you didn't know that when you got there. Sure. Right? I mean, you knew nothing about brokerage. I, I did not have any real understanding about what they did other than sort of advertise space. Because it makes sense you find guys like Adam join Colliers. Well, of course, because it's, you know, it's, it's easy to find I actually interviewed at Ashler. I went uh, five interviews deep, did not get the job offer. Guess so, who did? Yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> that probably was it. Sorry. Yeah. Was this uh, 2009 or so? Well, no, I have a couple of years after, so that's okay. someone else. Okay. I apologize. <laughs> I apologize on behalf of them. But yeah, you know, I, I was very fortunate, as mentioned. My father was in real estate. That being said, he was fairly old school. So what he would do is he would give me a list of, names and companies of that he thought were good people and good companies. This is when I was a university student to find summer jobs. And he, and he said, you can either work retail, which I did for a long time and I did throughout university and in high school, or, you know, you can call these people 
and you can try and get a summer job. And I'm not calling them for you. Correct. <laughs> and don't drop by name. However, if if they ask, you know, you're not going to lie, and you can you can say it then. But so I would do that every every summer. And Craig Smith and Ashore was one of those names. And Craig knew right away because he's just got a good mind for that. So he's like, oh, you're you know you're Bill Kennedy's son. Yeah, yeah, come for an interview. And ended up getting a summer job. Did that for a number of months. And like I said, just really, really liked the people. But I went, man, these people are crazy. I, I could not do what they're doing every single day. It takes a, a lot of dedication, a lot of risk with your time. And there's no you know guarantee for reward. I was also doing an urban planning degree. So I saw myself in development more than anything else at the time. This was 2011, I guess 2010 at the time. We hadn't completely come out of, I wouldn't call it a recession, but you know, that downturn. And jobs were still few and far between, especially at the larger companies. So I ended up sort of applying everywhere. And Craig knows this because he helped me. And then after sort of three or four months, I went, you know, what am I doing? Here's a group of people that want to see me succeed. I'll learn a lot. And even if I don't love the brokerage side of it, do a year of it, two years of it, and I'll go somewhere else if I, if I have to. And that was my mindset. Got my, li- my license the second half uh, of, of that school year. And then I started at Ashler after basically begging Craig for two and a half months and started there. You know, fast forward five years, I, I absolutely loved every moment being there. I loved being a broker. It was incredibly hard to leave, but I, I wanted to round myself out. And just to take a step back, it was an incredibly entrepreneurial group. And I think the industry is pretty entrepreneurial and, and you guys get that. And, and First National, we'll, we'll get on to that. But that's sort of a very similar similar culture. Because actually it was predominantly GTA or exclusively GTA. It was small. It was even downtown. Guys, yeah. Yeah. It was pretty much downtown west, downtown east. You think of the allied portfolio, you know, some exceptions of that. If we did a lot of work for Slate Office when they owned a bunch of the stuff that Dream now has on, on Bay Street. That's really what it was. It was class, you know, B and class C. It's a very niche, very, very, niche. very small. I mean, and, and competing in a world where there's really just four major players, really, right? So... Like you could probably almost walk to most of your listings from your oh, yeah, office. Oh, yeah, I did. I, yeah. I did not own a car. I, I walked everywhere or took transit. Sometimes, you know, near the end of my tenure there, we had some stuff in the junction as that was starting to go. But yeah, it was very... So before we go to your next step, at what point were you thinking about like the end game or the next? Did you always have like a 5, 10, 15 year plan? I mean, not, not, we all kind of think about it. But yeah. I'll tell you right now, I have no idea what I'm going to do next year. Yeah, like, yeah. But I think... <laughs> Back then, you had a sense of where you wanted to go, ultimately? Yeah, you know, I I think it was the atmosphere. Two things. One, even though my father had some institutional experiences, he was also an entrepreneur for for many years in in real estate. That always appealed to me. However, at Ashler, everyone was very entrepreneurial. And everyone sort of talked about what else they could do, whether it was in real estate or otherwise. And they were always thinking about sort of how to scratch that itch. And so, you know, it was a very open environment and sort of what you want to be and who you want to be and, and all that, that type of good stuff. So I think immediately I was thinking about how can I be better? How can I understand more? And I found 95% of brokerage was extremely rewarding. You know, 5% was there's certain areas that are just black holes a little bit to brokers because you only have so much time in your day. Understanding really you know, how a, a building is is managed and operated outside of the leasing, 
finance was a huge black hole. You know, you, you understood generally what was going on. Need capital to make capital, but yeah. That, that's <laughs> about it. So, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to underwrite deals and put together sims and, and all that stuff and sell the product. But really, you're calling a mortgage broker or you're calling a banker and you're telling them, well, what would you do with this? And then you're slapping that on, you know, at Ashler at least, because we, we weren't CBRE. We didn't have a giant capital markets team and, and stuff like that. So there were the black holes that always sort of ate away at me. And I think more than anything, that sort of propelled me into making a move and just wanting to round myself out. So no matter what it was, whether it was, you know, working for an owner or working for myself or whatever, I had a, a better skill set to prepare me for that. So you ended up at First National? Yeah, well, I pretty much have, have you to thank for that. You bugged me for a while and, and you know, the opportunity was pretty clear, I, I think. First National, again, you go from a, let's call it 30-person company at Ashler to a 1,000-person company at First National. However, for those that don't know, and I'm, this isn't a plug for First National, but the, well, commercial, go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the commercial team is very, very close, very entrepreneurial, and it feels very much like a, a very small company. And, and that, is, that is a hard thing to do. And, and kudos to, you know, Maury and Steven and, and Jeremy and really everyone involved for creating that because that's challenging. But I didn't appreciate that at the time. I think you both sort of spoke about that as a, reality, but, you know, I, I assume that it would be quite different from my experience. But in terms of the entrepreneurial sort of bend that, that FN had, you know, right away, it was, hey, Tim, come in, you lean on your relationships, go continue to foster those relationships, we'll back you with sort of underwriting support, you can learn the finance, I'm glad now, you know, my, my client didn't know at the time, but you can learn this whole industry on on the fly you know, and, and just do what you do and we'll get there together. What an incredible opportunity that was for me. And, and I still feel so fortunate. To, so when to did you that. start? And I think I know the answer, but when did you start thinking about Lowland or the idea of Lowland? Yeah. The, because there was one more stop along the way, I think, in between Lowland and First National. Yeah, there right? was a cup of coffee in between. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I would say at some point, and, and I don't think this is, you know, taboo. It's pretty pretty common these days. At some point, probably about a year and a half before I left First National, I was at the time. Yeah, I would have been. I would have been married. My wife is from Kitchener Waterloo, so I was here back and forth. And real estate junkie in me, you, you just start looking at real estate and. And you call the brokers and say, well, what are you selling that for? And, you know, what rents? You, and you just start putting together the pieces. So I knew there was something in, you know, Waterloo region. I thought there was a very good risk-reward play here relative to the GTA, which is all I really knew for many years. So I started to put, the, put together the pieces there. A very small building on King Street, which is the main drag in, in Kitchener, came for sale. It was about a million bucks. and. I thought there was a very clear play on how to turn it, you know, turn it around. It was in awful condition, but well-located, lots of potential for a sort of an Allied-esque brick and beam building with a small twist that we, we sort of like to put on those buildings. But we thought there was a play there. Ended up doing that basically, you know, essentially family and friends and really as a side investment, just like, hey, there's this this thing we want to put some money into. Let, let's go. For the record, at First National, that's 
perfectly acceptable. If yeah, I was wondering. And, and, you know, yeah, <laughs> lots of encourage. It's encouraged. Again, that's the entrepreneurial spirit. Like it's yeah. And at the time, it was not. You know, it was like, hey, this would be great if this was something. You know, 10, 15 years down the road, and this was the start of something. But I, I don't think it was. You know, we're going to ramp this up to you know what we are now, which is you know not huge, but thirteen buildings in a couple of years, and then you know we're, we're going to be off to the races after this one. It was just this is a good play, makes sense. Let's do it. And so that's sort of when it started. And then you know, nice thing about being a smaller market is you do something and. Someone catches wind and they go, hey, what's going on there? Who are you? And that whole, you know, then other opportunities arise. So over the next, I guess, yeah, year and a half, two years, First National and, the, and my, my cup of coffee elsewhere, we acquired another couple buildings. And that was really... So the cup really of coffee, and we can, we can skip it quickly, but it kind of forced your... Your hand a little bit yeah, in a positive yeah, yeah, way. It's kind yeah. of funny the way things worked out. Like you had kind of thought, here's another way for me to kind of you'd done brokerage, you'd done you know, lending. There's another sort of a consultation opportunity to yep. kind of really hone your skills in that format. It kind of ended abruptly, but it was like, here, this is your so, opportunity now. Go totally. Right? And this is one of these things that life happens, and the pandemic happened, and, and I was not alone, and and lots of people sort of had their world turned upside down a little bit. But I think the important part about anything in life, whether it's your career or your, your personal life, when something that seems to be negative happens in your life, it's all about how you react, not about what just happened. And Scott Galloway, I, I listen to his podcast, you know, and he always talks about, you know, he gets engineers that call him from Google or wherever, and they just got laid off and they're going, what do I do? And he goes, well, listen, you worked at one of the biggest and best and, you know, hardest companies to get a job for many years. You got laid off. Guess what? You'll get another job. There's probably 400 companies that want you right now. So, you know, don't mourn for a couple of days, but move on and, and create something positive out of this. So, Wait, is First National the Google in this analogy? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Yes, it is. So, exactly. But again, I, I think I've worked for three great companies, you know, Ashler, First National, and, and you know, anyone that checks my LinkedIn can see the, the other one is KPMG. And, and so I think what I was able to do and, and really thankfully from my business partners, but also our investor partners, I got calls and just said, hey, Tim, guess what? This is an opportunity. Let's go. Instead of being, oh my gosh, there's a pandemic going on. Let's all sit on our hands, go get another job because whatever. I got a bunch of calls from both some people who are, are, were our first investors and then some who are, have now been big investors of other deals that we, we've done since say, yeah, this is an opportunity. This is a moment. If you want to take this, we got your back. So you make the decision. And I think there's a lot of us in the, in the real estate community that I think dream of doing what you're doing, right? It's kind of, you know, finding a whole bunch of capital and taking the reins, starting your own business. I mean, you're principal, but co-founder, you're the, the person that's, that's in control. There was a, must have been a moment, right? You got a wife, you got a kid, young child, and all of a sudden you made this decision. <laughs> there's no First National blanket. There's no Ashley Urban blanket. There's no Craig Smith or Maury Taws. Like, it's just, that was just you. What yeah. was the first month or two like? Because it must have been like just, in a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, by the way. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. So, so no childcare. My wife works for Canadian Tire Corporate. And so she's working full time. And she had actually just come off mat leave when this all happened. You know, we're trying to watch our one year old. 
I'm effectively trying to start a business and not allowed to leave my condo. And so, yeah, it was wild, but there's some adrenaline for the first few months, I think. There's some excitement and, and obviously... I was fortunate enough to do well enough that I, before, to put some savings together. But I, I tell you, like, you know, savings doesn't last forever, yeah, you right? Gotta make, and, you got to make moves. Yeah. And, make so, moves, yeah. and at this point, was it still just the one property that you acquired prior to uh, COVID? We were three small properties. And right around this time, we actually had, it was also decent timing. I mean, this was not enough to pay the bills by any stretch, but we had actually just acquired two more properties and one, which is sort of a game changer for us. One was an office building that we've done well on and, you know, still a bright future for that one, even with COVID tough timing, but we bought it really well. The other one was, you know, every other deal we had bought from that point was like, let's call it $800,000, two and a half million dollars, like small deals. And then we, and they're all office and retail. And then we closed on one deal that was $9.6 million dollars. And it was a 115,000 square foot industrial building. And we only bought it because it was dropped three times. And, you know, the price just kept on getting reduced and reduced and reduced. $87 a foot. You know, rents were way below market. It was very attractive. People were sort of nervous about environmental or the tenant role, but no one was actually going to spend the money to do the homework. And, and so anyways, we convinced our, our partners to take a bet on us to do industrial the market was not what we know the market is today. It, you know, it was still very much like, yeah, industrial's a decent asset class and it'll, you know, be pretty steady, but it was not. Yeah, that, that'll happen now. over the next yeah. year. And, you know, now. Yeah, what do you think the per square foot value is uh, today on that one? Yeah, we'd have to ask an appraiser. A lot more. Yeah, yeah, a, lot a lot more. more. No. I'm, I'm sensitive to timing, Tim. Yeah. So I want to get to lowland properties, who you are now, what's going on. So maybe just, you made that jump. That, that acquisition, I think, really kind of helped. I mean, it probably was a confidence thing, if more than anything else. Like, okay, wait a minute. Like, here I am now. I got my fourth property. This yeah. property is worth five times more than the other three at that point or whatever the, the, the calculation is. And now you're off and running. Move to Kitchener. You're open up an office. I mean, just describe kind of what Lowland is now. And I, I'm really curious about what the next five years look like and yeah. how now you're really embracing the operator, owner, manager of this of this, this business. Sure, I'll be quick with the now. You know, now we've really pivoted towards industrial and, and other things. We're opportunistic, so we'll, we'll sort of do whatever we think, that wherever there's an opportunity, we'll invest in. We got four people that work for us which, you know, doesn't, it's not a lot, but it's it, four times it's more than you have. Four times, yeah, <laughs> so that's pretty great. We got stone throw away from where we're sitting right now, our, our offices. We have 13 buildings approaching, you know, 500,000 square feet under ownership and management. That's where we come. So, we, and it's probably about 80, $85 billion under management. So it's all through GPLPs? It's all through, yeah, yeah. So not, fun, not fundraising? No, nope, no, it's all sort of private high net worth partners. And that's the intention going forward? Yeah. You know, you get a long-term vision. You get partners that you can, the LP model, it's tougher to raise. I think it's tougher to raise capital in a way, or maybe it's harder to execute on deals because you don't know necessarily if you have the money until you have the deal and you start pitching it. So your due diligence period is really shrunk because of, of it. But uh, what you can do is you can align that capital with every deal and everyone has their, you know, glasses on and and their eyes wide open, then really no matter what happens in that deal, you should have everyone rowing in the same direction. So that, that's the nice part about the LP model, we think. And we're long-term forever type owners. That's our mindset, unless 
something a real too good. Opportunity, yeah, yeah. yeah. You mentioned with your first acquisition, there's a bit of a, I guess, a twist in your investment thesis. What's the twist? I think with Brick and Beam, you know, I, I spent a lot of years, and this is not a knock because they've obviously done unbelievably well. I spent a lot of years leasing product on behalf of Allied and, and selling product on behalf of Allied. And what we found is Brick and Beam looks really beautiful and people love sort of stepping into the space, but it doesn't suit everyone long-term because the creaky floors and the heels and, you know, all that stuff. And, and it, it, it's very, very cool space. And some people will stay there for many, many years. But we also saw a number of people that went, yeah, this is really great, but I'd rather have a little bit more quiet or, or you know. Corporate. Yeah, yeah. They want the look and the feel, but they sort of want the function, your typical office building. So that's what we tried to do there is, you know, we, we poured two inches of concrete on the floors and reinforced, you know, the floors so that you get great na- like noise insulation. You wouldn't get the same sort of creaking of, of the floors. We exposed a bunch of the bricks, so you still get that drywall ceilings. That wasn't necessarily by choice. It was a building code thing. So you go in our buildings, our brick and beam buildings, and they're quite modernized and they function like a, like a, almost like a brand new building, but there's a lot of elements of, of character in it. So it costs a little bit more money to get, get it there, but uh, we think the product just is a little bit more durable. And it probably makes it more um, broader scope of tenant base, yeah. right? Yeah, than, you're than not just, than leaning just, just on the tech yeah. all the time. Yeah. So only commercial? Industrial office and retail when it when it's part there. Yes, generally we have six townhomes that we're building. We're going to take to market very soon. Actually, we just the were, sale market or the rental market sale. Yeah, and so that's a whole other podcast about my my philosophy on on uh, all the rental stuff. But yeah, it is for sale. We're dipping our toe. It was one of those things that it was a commercial building it was a little bit overpriced on a per foot of the bit, tiny little building. But the land just made total sense as residential. No one was snapping it up. So we, we we bought it and we thought it was an opportunity. And it's a way for us to dip our toe in the water and, and learn that business. I don't know if we're going to be building, you know, 200 homes a year in, in five years or, or not. I, I doubt it. But uh, I think there will be some market housing in our future. Okay. And all KW? For now, it's KW. That is not something that we are steadfast on. We just love the region. We think there's a huge runway here. Now you have a car for your business. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Geography's a little broader. Yes. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you drive everywhere. But everything is still 15 minutes away somehow. Yeah, it's the focus, but we've looked elsewhere. We've almost bought elsewhere. We have the support to go elsewhere, but but right now we just, we do see a, a big runway here. And, what, and why was elsewhere and why didn't it make sense? Honestly, vendor expectations changed. Okay, so it wasn't market-specific. It wasn't market-specific. It was like, hey, you hit this price. Okay, we're going to hit that price. Well, now my price is this. And, you know, and it's 2x what I thought it was before. You know, and those sort of stories. So we've been close a couple times. But again, even if we purchased elsewhere, I think for the foreseeable future, vast majority of acquisitions would be here. And you're now living here. You you are you know you're, you're raising a family here. What's the attraction? What do you like about Kitchener? I mean, you're you're downtown Toronto boy originally. Yeah, and you're kind of a supplanted here now. You both know, like you know, things change, and and you know, restaurants, and you know, the culture, and and all that stuff. And again, it's not a knock for Waterloo Region. Toronto is just so much bigger. There, there's so much more of that there. But at the end of the day, when you have a four year old. You don't 
get a lot of time or you have multiple, you know, little ones, you don't get a lot of time to experience all that as an adult. So the drop-off wasn't too bad for myself. As mentioned, my wife's from here, so it was pretty easy. Her family's here, so that was nice for her. And you really see my son, he loves it. And, you know, he's able to do eight weeks of swimming lessons for $67 and, you know, soccer for a whole month for $80. And, like, there's all these activities and there's all this space and, you know, there's not a lot of wait lists. And so, like, from a family perspective, it actually worked really nicely because, one, it's good. It's better for me to be here to watch over all this and and be hands-on. I, I know our investor partners like it. But from a family perspective, it, it's been it's been easy as well. Well, Aaron's got uh, two young children and a third on the way, so he's intently listening to what you're saying here and doing the math in his head. Yeah, so. yeah. I can ask my neighbor. I went to school here, so I love I love this I love this place, and I I, I won't say that I could not move here, but I'm glad you did. Aaron and I were having a discussion yesterday because we we did touch on it briefly at the start of this podcast. We are at the Southwest Ontario conference, and we were talking about where else in the country of Canada, you know, national view, where else you would put a conference in a, call it a non-major city market. And this is the obvious one. So, you know, there's a reason we're here. This is the first conference for a reason. You know, you're, you're in a hotbed of activity outside of, you know, Toronto proper. So your investment thesis is probably reinforced by seeing things like this conference taking off here. Totally. And you know, the funny thing, and, and some people sort of go, well, I don't know about this, but you, you look at every, Collier's, CBRE, JLL, Avison, what, you know, every major real estate brokerage in Canada, if you look seven years ago, eight years ago, compared to now, if you look at all their research reports, every single one of them, you know, whereas before eight years ago, it would just be the major, you know, the major Canadian cities that we all know. And now on every single one of those reports, Kitchener-Waterloo. And, and it's just little things like that where it, it sort of reinforces, yeah, everyone's watching. It might not be everyone's number one, two, might not be everyone's seventh choice of investment in the country, but everyone is watching now. That is meaningful. And if you walk around, I'm sure, you know, from school, from when you went to school to now, you walk around the city, the amount of towers that are going oh, it's up. wild. Well, the know. Google investment, I mean, it's, there's a lot of positive attributes here that it just... You know, it didn't exist five years ago. And you were, that's when you kind of moved here, right? So it, it's and it's, and the trajectory continues. I mean, the trend line seems to be really positive for, for the foreseeable future. Totally, totally. And even in the downtowns, which I know are struggling everywhere, like you just look at the population. I think within two kilometers of our three buildings on King Street, within a two kilometer radius, I think in the next five years, there's going to be 7,000 units that are built. Those are comparable numbers to some of the condo booms in, you know, like the King West neighborhoods and, and, yeah. and stuff and like that. And they've invested in public transportation. They're, I mean, there's a lot of really strong, yeah. and don't forget the university students that just keep flowing through the, every year. The, the right? talent is, is huge. And that's just a note for everyone in, in Canada, I think, to, to pay attention to. Everywhere around the world, like you go to Germany, you go to San Francisco, you go anywhere where there's sort of tech, Everyone knows University of Waterloo. It, it's a big deal outside of Canada. And I think in Canada, people are like, yeah, it's University of Waterloo. And, and I think we, we know a little bit more now. It's a much more relaxed reaction to the University of Waterloo in Canada as opposed to elsewhere in the world. People consider this one of the, the, the hotbeds for tech talent for sure. 
All right, Tim, I think we're, uh, we're out of time today. I look forward to having you back on in five years so we can see if the, the five-year vision crystallized the way that uh, you thought it would. I guess you're nothing if not adaptable. We want to thank, of course, the Real Estate Forums for hosting us here today. He'll be in hospitality by then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on every hotel and kitchen. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, keep going. <laughs> I'll, I'll repeat, we want to thank the uh, Real Estate Forums for having us here today at Southwest Ontario Real Estate Forum and First National Course for powering the podcast. But Tim, it's been great uh, great to catch up. Obviously, Tim and I had work history together at First National and uh, I knew him prior to that in his Asher Urban days. So it was fun to catch up over a podcast. Thank you guys. Had a lot of fun. Good luck. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the CRE Podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. First National Financial LP holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.